So if you're listening and you're kind of wondering like, is this something that applies to me? I don't know. Maybe my drinking's not that bad. If you have this like little gut feeling that says, maybe I should try a dry January or maybe I should take a month off. Maybe I should look into this a little bit more. Follow that breadcrumb. Hey, midlifers. Welcome to the Midlife Makeover Show. Are you ready to break free from your mundane midlife? Are you feeling trapped in a vicious cycle of rinse and repeat days? No matter if you're experiencing a divorce hangover, job burnout, or you just have the midlife blues, I got you. Hey, I'm Wendy, your hostess of the Midlife Mostess. I too was hit by midlife like a freight train. I too felt stuck in the same dull chapter. I wanted the clarity of how to create a new life beyond divorce and the courage to leave an unfulfilling career. But I kept telling myself that I wasn't worthy and it was just easier to stay in my comfort zone until I found a little secret, the freedom to live my life my way. In this podcast, you will learn how to achieve a vibrant midlife mind and body, how to create solid relationships through love and loss, and how to create an awesome second half of life. Grab your grande latte, pop in your earbuds, and let's get this midlife party started. Do you ask yourself questions like, who am I? What is my purpose? Why am I living a life I don't love? Answers to these questions and more are revealed in the new Freedom at Midlife group coaching program, where I offer you a guaranteed roadmap to your own midlife makeover. In this powerful seven-week program, you will learn the seven steps to freedom method to help you discover who you want to become, what life you want to live, and most importantly, how to get there. Instead of being lost in life, miserable in menopause, or struggling to juggle it all, you could reignite your love life, retire that dreadful job, and reinvent yourself. So if you're ready to begin your midlife journey of transformation filled with accountability, guidance, and support, then the time is now. Your midlife needs you to make a move. The Freedom at Midlife program is opening for enrollment soon with limited spots available. To be the first to know when we are open for enrollment, please join the waitlist now at freedomatmidlife.com and you will soon discover that next courageous step in creating your epic second half of life. Everyone, welcome back to the Midlife Makeover Show. Today is January 15th, and we are halfway through the first month of 2024. And I know that a lot of you out there have made New Year's resolutions. And did you know that 81% of people that make New Year's resolutions give up their resolutions by February? So we have the perfect person to save us. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure. No pressure to make those New Year's resolutions stick. And if a lot of you, I think out there, myself included, is like, hey, maybe I should cut back on the drinking a little bit, maybe a little too much wine. This is the perfect expert to have on the show today. Our guest is Dr. Brooke Scheller. She is a doctor of clinical nutrition, the founder of Functional Sobriety, and the author of how to eat to change how you drink. I love that title. It's so perfect. After finding freedom from alcohol in 2021, Dr. Brooke took her experience in sobriety and applied her expertise in nutrition and functional medicine to help others change their relationship with alcohol. Her approach results in improved brain health, mood, energy, focus, gut health, and hormone balance. Her launch of Functional Sobriety led to the development of her online community, the Functional Sobriety Network. That's also another great name. Love it. And Mm -hmm. several online programs with members across the globe. Functional Sobriety offers the first ever custom supplement program genius for the sober and sober curious. As a motivational speaker, Dr. Brooke helps to spread the word about functional nutrition, alcohol-free wellness, and the power of sobriety. Dr. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me back, Wendy. I'm so thrilled to be here. We have so much fun. I know. Like I know you you by far are one of the most fun people to speak to on the podcast. So I always love hanging out with you and spending time with you. And I'm so grateful that you're having me back and at such a relevant 
cultural moment for everyone too. I know it is, especially after the holidays. And it's like, okay, here we go. Let's change up the new year and create a new self and a new, like new health, everything. So I actually want to start off with something that I saw in your book. It's the first page and it made me Mm -hmm. cry and I'll probably cry again. So this is the dedication on your book to the little girl who fought the battles so I could show up for my destiny. See, I'm already crying. I see you. I feel you. I love you. Mm, Tell me more about that. Mm, Tell me about that little girl. You know, in my book, I share a lot about my story, my, my experience in, uh, of how alcohol affected my life, my experiences growing up, the, excuse me, see, now you have me all choked up the experiences that shaped who I am today. And when I started writing this book, the first thing that came to mind is I'm writing this book for that little girl Mm -hmm. and for all the little girls out there who have a dream Mm -hmm. that, you know, feels like a dream and is something that is so far out of our, our reach. But you know, I look back and writing a book was, has been one of my dreams since I was a little girl. And it is only through my experience in getting sober and eliminating alcohol that I was able to do that. And so I share a lot of that in my story, aside from the science and all of the fun um, nutrition and wellness information that encompasses the book, there is a big part of it that includes my story, which is, you know, this little girl who experienced a lot of trauma and a lot of difficulties and continued pushing, pushing, pushing through. And I feel like, you know, that was all for a purpose. It is. I'm so Mm -hmm. proud of you. I am. I I mean, I feel like it's such like a motherly thing to say, I'm so proud of you, but I am. (laughs) And I I can totally relate to that. And I've seen, uh, I might've shared with you, I think I did, but unfortunately I witnessed my brother die from addiction. And I watched from the from a teenager up until he passed away at the age of 49 years old, I watched him slowly kill himself. And I mean, that's really what it was. And what started out as just alcohol became all sorts of other addictions, of course. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until you know, and I, I struggled my whole life with his addiction. Like I was almost addicted mm-hmm. to his addiction, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. and I was like, I can save you. Don't, There's don't. a program you know? for that too, by I, the way. Oh, trust <laughs> me. I've been through it, you know, but you know what though? One of the greatest things that came out of it and what shaped me, what you're talking about, how it had shaped you and how this shaped me is that when I walked into that ICU on his final few days and I saw him laying there. He's six foot five, big guy. His feet were hanging off the bed (laughs) and he's in a coma, machines everywhere. And I looked at him and I just had this peace that I'd never felt before. And that peace resulted in this new belief and emotion and feeling about addiction. And I looked at him not as an addict anymore. Mm-hmm. He was just this human being, this beautiful soul that had this addiction that he just could not kick. And I saw him in a whole new light, like everything, just all the labels on him that whether either placed on himself or from society, family, might even me, just fell away. And I could just love him so much more. And so I'm so grateful that I had that experience. And I'm so grateful that there's more people like you out in the world working, you know, your magic to to change that so that we don't have to experience trauma like that. Yeah. And you bring up so many good points and and thank you for sharing that story. Mm. Sharing these vulnerable things are really impactful for others. And, you know, I just had someone make a comment about my book that I could have just written it as an expert and not woven my story into it. And I really felt compelled to share my story because one of the things that I've learned in my experience of alcohol elimination and getting sober is 
the communities where people share vulnerably how they're feeling, what's really going on for them, the things that are like the deep wounds that humans all have and experience. Yeah. We don't talk about them in the normal world. We don't yeah. talk about them, unfortunately. And, and it keeps people stuck in this cycle of needing something or seeking something that can help ease that pain. Right. And, you know, so it's really important to be vulnerable and to share that. And I, I also want to share that, you know, addiction is so stigmatized, right? Like yep. there's still a lot of stigma and, you know, we, we kind of categorize these people who have addiction or are addicts into this box. Mm. But the reality is that there are a lot of people that are struggling with managing things like alcohol use. Mm. And just because you're not drinking every day or it's not affecting your life in maybe this very drastic way doesn't mean right. that it's not affecting your life. And I just posted something the other day <clears throat> to say that you don't have to be drinking alcohol or using drugs or smoking marijuana or any of that every day for it still to be affecting your life every day, right? Yes. There's these carryover effects that happen from this. And it's they're very detrimental to the body and our systems. And they do mm -hmm. contribute to things like anxiety and depression, et cetera. And we get caught in this cycle, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And, <clears throat> you know, that's where nutrition and health can really play an important role of how we start to break that cycle and how we can treat our body differently so that we can alleviate some of the stress and the need for us to maybe seek out these ways of, of escape. Yeah. And it's definitely a domino effect, right? Like what might seem like so simple, like, oh, I'm just having a glass of wine here and there. It affects you physically and mentally and emotionally. And that's, that's really like the key because then you think like, if you're depressed, you're thinking mm -hmm. that something else is wrong with you. And then you might run to the doctor and go get an antidepressant and then boom, but a boom, but a boom. And it's just, then it just snowballs. So let's hear a little bit more about your story about what kind of like, what sparked you to go, okay, no more drinking. Yeah. Well, you'll read it in my book. If you pick up a copy of how to eat to change how you drink. I tell my story kind of from the get-go of, you know, I was raised in Jersey at the shore, but I always say not the Jersey shore, like not the one that you see on TV. <laughs> um, I always have to point that out, but we were beach kids. I mean, we used to, yeah. when we were teenagers, we would drink on the beach. We would get, you know, someone's older brother to buy us six packs of Smirnoff or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it was. And we would sit on the beach and have bonfires. And um, we weren't like the club going type. There are, are people there that are, but <laughs> my crowd was not. And, um, you know, I started drinking at a really young age. I started drinking at 13 and mm -hmm. I don't think that's uncommon. I think many people can relate to yeah. drinking at that young age, but I had, um, some trauma happen in my late teen years where mm -hmm. my father, who was previously sober, had a relapse on drugs and mm -hmm. there was several other kind of situations going on that really drastically changed my home life as mm -hmm. a, as a teenager and I had already been drinking and, you know, I had no other means of coping with any of these things. So what did I do throughout my teen years, my late teen years into my twenties? I used alcohol to cope with everything. I really kind of thought I was mostly using it socially, but I, when I look back now in my sobriety, I can really see how I was using that social tool to also escape a lot of the other yeah. things that were going on for me. And you know, I, I say that because for so many people who were kind of raised on drinking and still maybe drink to this day and feel like you don't know what life would be like without it. Like you might be mm -hmm. listening and going, there's no way I could like eliminate alcohol. If I can do it, trust me, you can do it too, because <laughs> I was, you know, I would drink at any occasion. I, all of my friends around me were drinkers. Family members were drinkers. It was woven into every ounce of my life. Yeah. Even as a doctor of nutrition, which is where like the story gets kind of interesting in that I share, I feel like for a long time, I was living a double life because mm -hmm. I had gotten advanced degrees in nutrition. I have a doctorate in nutrition and all through that I was drinking fairly heavily. You know, it's not mm -hmm. hard. It's not hard to find the other people that will drink heavily with you. Right. Yes. Right. And right. so even in circles of health and wellness, they're still drinkers. And I think that's one of the other misconceptions too, is that, you know, um, 
I think because so long alcohol has been quote unquote healthy or touted as this having potential health benefits that in these circles of doctors and wellness practitioners, there is still this era of, well, you know, it's organic wine or it's, you know, um, no sulfite wine or it's, Mm -hmm. you know, organic vodka or it's a cocktail that has a fresh pressed juice in it, right? That it can be this like healthy thing. So I was really like hinging on that. And I know another thing that I've shared that a lot of people relate to too is using health tools to kind of negate the alcohol, right? So I would take a month off here and there, or I would do a detox, or I would take supplements to help my liver, or I would be, you know, trying to do these things that would quote unquote repair the damage that I was doing with alcohol. But what happens, and it's, it's, my story is not unique in that the more Mm -hmm. we put alcohol in the body, the more our body will adapt to it and want and desire it more and more. So oftentimes people start out, you know, drinking more socially or casually, and it's not uncommon for that to continue to ramp up and pick up over Mm -hmm. time that just like you said, kind of like snowball effect over time, we look back and we go, how am I drinking you know, every day or most days out of the week, I used to just drink socially, like what, what kind of happened there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because at first it's, it's like a physical thing. And then, you know, like, even though you can control it up here, then eventually the body's controlling the mind. And then Mm -hmm. it's like, do, 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 do it. Then you're, you're kind of left back here going, wait a minute, what's going on? Like, how did that happen? How did I just have a whole bottle of wine? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's why part chapter three in the book is mm. dedicated to these three drinking archetypes that I developed. Yes. I wanted to ask you mm. about that. So yeah, tell me, tell us more about that. Yeah. And this is because after I got sober and, and started on my own journey, I was about three months sober when I had this aha moment where I had to write a book. I ended up getting a book deal. All these pieces really like fell into place. And I had decided to start working with others in trying to help support people through their early sobriety using nutrition as a tool, mm. um, using some simple health practices, things that are all documented in the book. And what's most interesting to me is that, you know, I am someone who was an extremely heavy drinker. By the end, I was drinking either daily or almost daily. But not everybody has that experience, right? Not everyone who's listening is a daily drinker. Like you might be listening and saying, I'm not drinking that much. Like I, you know, I can't relate to this. I don't know if this is meant for me. But the, the fact is when I started working with people, I had like a ton of variation in people's backgrounds that were Mm -hmm. wanting to quit drinking. So there were people who like me were drinking more frequently and wanted to cut back. But there were also people that were only drinking once or twice a week. And they were coming in and saying, you know, I, I don't drink that much. I don't know if I need full sobriety Mm -hmm. because I I don't feel like I have a problem or I have an addiction, but for some reason I can't say no. And Mm -hmm. when I start, I can't stop. And I think we all innately know, like there's this little like part in our gut that says, I don't know if this is good for me. Like, I don't know if I can be doing this. Right. Uh So if you're listening and you're kind of wondering, like, is this something that applies to me? I don't know. Maybe my drinking's not that bad. If you have this like little gut feeling that says, maybe I should try a dry January, or maybe I should Mm -hmm. take a month off. Maybe I should look into this a little bit more. Follow that breadcrumb because my, my thought is that every single person I've worked with, and I have clients around the world, it's been really amazing to launch my, my online programs and to literally have people on different continents in live meetings is really cool. And, um, you know, I have never seen a single person who eliminates alcohol or begins this journey to try to see what life is like without alcohol and regrets it. Mm-hmm. No one comes in and goes, eh, nah, this wasn't that good. I'm going to, you know. Yeah. Or yeah, back. I feel like right. crap now, now that I, I've given it up. It's the opposite. Yeah. You feel better and you have more clarity and and do you have some people that come to you that maybe they only drink a couple times a week, but then they have some physical issues that they're dealing with? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So this is the other thing that, again, goes into that idea of 
You don't have to be drinking every day for alcohol to be affecting your life every day. Mm -hmm. What we know in the science, and a big part of the book covers some of these areas of science, things like our gut microbiome, our hormones, our brain neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin. And the thing is, even if you drink alcohol once or twice a week, more than a glass or two at a time, there is going to be a physical impact that alcohol will have on your body negatively, right? So that means if you are someone who experiences anxiety or depression, alcohol is probably contributing to that. If you're someone Mm -hmm. who has difficulty with stress tolerance, alcohol might be making that worse. Mm -hmm. If you have hormone imbalances, if you get headaches, if you have GI disorders, if you have an autoimmune disease, Mm -hmm. if you have any type of health condition and you're drinking more than a couple of glasses of alcohol, of wine, whatever it might be a week, there is a very high likelihood that that is contributing. Yeah. So it's important to differentiate that because again, I think people think, oh, well, if I drink too much and have a hangover, then I know that alcohol has affected my body in some way. Right. But what we're learning in the science is really that anything over about two glasses per week starts to affect health in some mm. way. So that's going to look differently on different people, but there were there was new guidance that was released in 2022 in Canada that said that kind of changed the risk profile of alcohol, zero to two glasses being lowest risk, two to six glasses being um, a mild risk where you're starting to maybe see some increases with health risk like cardiovascular disease, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then anything over six is high risk. So Mm. that's very starkly different than the U.S. recommendation, which has not been updated since 2020. So in, in the U.S., we update nutrition guidance every five years. So mm-hmm. our next guidance will be in 2025. So it it's, you know, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens yeah. then if we shift. But between Canada's guidance, the World Health Organization saying that no alcohol, no zero alcohol is the only, you know, is the best amount of alcohol and yep. that any amount can affect health. Um, that has changed really rapidly over mm-hmm. the last two or three years. And we're going to continue seeing how that is affecting people in the long term. Speaking of change, um, and if you're watching on YouTube, then you would know, but um, there's been a huge change with you. I mean, you you literally look 10 years younger than you did when I interviewed you like a year ago. Yeah, yeah, rock it. <laughs> well, it's but maybe you do. I mean, light. No, I mean, but really like, and I could tell your energy is different. You're more vibrant and I know you're probably worn out with (laughs) promoting the book, but you can't tell because you you can tell how much that has changed you. And, and when I think about my audience, I'm always like thinking about my listeners out there, Mm -hmm. like whether they're, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 or whatever, really you're, eating and drinking or not drinking for your future self, because mm-hmm. you got to think about what I, what am I going to be like when I'm 70 or 80? Do I want to like, if you want to rock it all the way until the very end, then you really got to take this stuff seriously about what you're putting into your body. Yeah. And you know, it's unfortunately as a society, we have created a lot of confusion around alcohol. Yeah. We've led people to believe that it's potentially beneficial for health. Mm-hmm. When in reality, what we're seeing in the research is that it's really not. The research that came out many years ago that said that red wine has potential health benefits mm-hmm. was always surrounding a very small amount of alcohol in a very specific type of lifestyle, right? right. So a lifestyle that is very high in um produce and fish mm-hmm. and low in processed foods and, you know, activity and being outdoors and, yep. you know, this kind of Mediterranean lifestyle. That early research still showed that anything over that single glass of wine was harmful, right? Mm-hmm. It also said yep. that the the guidance has always been, and this is what people don't mm-hmm. know, the guidance has always been that no alcohol is still better than any alcohol. Right. (laughs) If you're not a drinker, you shouldn't start just to try to get these perceived health benefits. Yeah. So we've created a little bit of public 
public health crisis Mm -hmm. (laughs) by allowing people to think that alcohol might be good for them. And I was just on a seminar with the World Health Organization out of Europe a few weeks ago, and they really do truly compare alcohol to tobacco in Hmm. that for those who don't know, alcohol is a class one carcinogen, which Hmm. means it is categorized because it is known to contribute to cancer in humans. Yeah. The other things that are on the class one carcinogen list are tobacco, asbestos, radiation, radiation, right? We wouldn't ever consume these in moderation and say, this is good for us. Right. Right. So it's separating out this, you know, some of what maybe we've heard before. And -hmm. there's a lot of industry tie in here too, right? There's a whole industry that is based on making money off of alcohol. And, um, and so now we're having to do some backpedaling, like we're having mm-hmm. to reeducate the public on that. This is actually more problematic maybe than you once believed. And that, you know, we maybe should be considering or reconsidering what publicly we are promoting around or allowing, because right. think of how tobacco has changed so drastically, right? We remove tobacco from indoors We, you know, Mm -hmm. now have areas where you can't smoke within 50 feet of, you know, an entryway, all of these things that have curbed tobacco use in the world, right? Yep. And so there's a lot of kind of butting heads in this conversation to say, do we do things, similar things with alcohol, et cetera. But at, you know, as a starting point, what we can do Mm -hmm. is educate people that they can make a more informed decision. And I don't share these things to scare you. I don't want to make like a scare tactic, like, okay, you've, if you've drank alcohol, now you're, now you're in trouble because, you know, right, they may have right. affected these things, but really to inform you and to tell you more so that you can make an informed decision for you, for your body, et cetera. So again, going back to yep. some of these health considerations, if you have a health concern, or if there are things that maybe you're struggling with and alcohol is part of your lifestyle, Um, It's worth exploring life without it. And I'll just kind of like, and we can dive into this. I'm sure that you're interested in talking more about this idea, but like a lot of people are afraid to eliminate it because they think that life's going to be boring. They don't know how to be around people without alcohol. Maybe their spouse drinks or their friends all drink. So it is possible. It just takes a little bit of persistence and an exploration. Yeah. I mean, think about it. If you change anything in your life, Mm-hmm. There's going to be a bit of a little shift in in your life and your day to day life, and just like anything, you just got to give it a little bit of time, and you'll adjust. And it a lot of it is about it. And I was using this word yesterday on a talk that I did: exploration. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really just about starting to kind of look at this with a new lens. And this is where I think the book is really helpful because there's some prompts in there that will kind of like have you dive a little bit deeper into, well, how is alcohol really making you feel? And what kind of role does alcohol play in your life today? And, and having you kind of step back and take a look at this and say, well, is this really serving my life in a positive way or not? Most Mm -hmm. people find that it's really not, but, but we've been so conditioned again, think back to my story of using it like as my only coping mechanism for 20 years, right? It's really hard to change that behavior, but there are a lot of tools that exist today to help people do it that weren't available even three, four, five years ago, right? Previously, mm-hmm. if you wanted to explore alcohol elimination, your only option was going to Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. And that was an extreme thing. Like most yep. people did not do that until they were at a rock bottom. They lost a family member, they mm-hmm. lost a job, they had a DUI, right? Now there's a whole world of sober curious people. Yeah. There's a whole slew of non-alcoholic beverages that you can get Mm -hmm. at restaurants, at liquor stores, wherever you go. And there are communities, mine being one of them, but there are tons of communities now available to women and men, anyone who's interested to explore what it's like to eliminate alcohol. So community is a really big part of it too. And you know, this from having a podcast community, like Mm -hmm. having a, a, kind of community of people around you that have similar goals, similar desires, and a similar lifestyle can really help us make that change. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, what I love about what you're teaching and your courses and your book 
it's getting to the root cause. It's mm-hmm. it's finding the deeper meaning and the deeper purpose. And Al-Anon or AA, I've been because of my brother, I went to several AA meetings with him. And what I found was kind of interesting, not a knock on AA, mm-hmm. just saying that they might have given up alcohol, but then they would take on a new addiction. They were all smoking or they would even start taking drugs or prescription drugs, but still saying, oh, hi, I'm I'm Judy and I'm sober. It's like, well, so I love that with your programs, you're getting to the root cause. You're You're teaching them a better way, a healthier way of living, that it's not just the alcohol piece. It's like, it is getting out of their own way. Like even when you were saying like that was standing in the way of you being the true you, of, of you being Brooke in her entirety and her true self, like that was standing in the way. And I find that a lot of people will do that though. They give up one addiction and then they take on an, a new one. Like, well, I did give that up, but yeah. they're really not fixing the addiction issue. Well, because a lot of it runs really deep. I mean, I it runs really, yeah. really deep. And, yep. you know, when we take away that one thing, it's it's like whack-a-mole, yeah. right? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and listen, AA is an amazing program. It yep. has helped millions mm-hmm. and millions of people yep. around the world. And it is extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. But it also is is for one segment of people. And yes. there is, there's a lot of room to open up to others who maybe don't identify with feeling like they need maybe as an extreme of an yep. approach, right? Exactly. That, exactly. Yeah. For example, the majority of the people that mm-hmm. I work with in my, in my programs, they would be very, very, very unlikely to go to AA yep. because they don't drink the way that maybe Alcoholics Anonymous would accept them. Right. And I know that for a fact too, you know, there's some stigma if you do go into AA where you're not bad enough, quote unquote, that sometimes <laughs> there's comments made of like, well, yes. you know, there's, it's not as extreme. So you don't, these people who are in this yep. kind of gray area, they're like, well, I don't fit here. That's a little extreme yep. for me. Yep. I don't know if drinking is right. So like, what do I do? Like, how do I get support? And yeah. the reality is that you're the one that gets to decide if alcohol is affecting your life negatively. No one, right. it's no one else's choice. It's no one else's decision to be made. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about that little feeling in the gut. You know, if you, if you're feeling like alcohol is affecting you negatively and you're the yeah. only one that can decide what is right for you to do with that. So mm-hmm. I think when it comes down to it, finding community and finding other people that you can relate to is extremely important, but it might just take a little bit of exploration of, well, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's checking out this community. Maybe it's reading some books. Mine is one of many hundreds of books that are, you know, around exploring an alcohol-free lifestyle. So there's, you know, there's tons of podcasts, there's tons of Mm -hmm. other resources that you can just start dabbling into that might show you what, what might work for you. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's not like you have to be on the extreme end to be able to do something like this. It's just no. knowing like, hey, I just want to start taking better care of myself and I'm not totally. quite sure how to just stop those two glasses of wine or whatever the case is, right? And in the introduction yeah. of my book, and you've read this, Wendy, like I mm-hmm. start, the book, aside from the dedication, starts off with a, a line that says, it starts with a whisper. Right? Yes, I know. It's I like love this that. little yeah. seed, this yeah. little gut thing, right? That goes like, maybe I should stop. Like, maybe I shouldn't be drinking this much, or maybe I should yeah. explore sobriety. And what happens is the whisper starts to get a little louder. It yeah. starts to get a little louder, and then maybe it's like you know you get tripped, you know, trip over the curb, and then you know, like AA most of the time for people is face plants on the ground that like you literally need help to get up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But if we can listen to that whisper before these things are happening, like that's where we have this control of saying like, I don't have to be at that point to decide that alcohol is affecting my life negatively. Right. I, and again, like, I know it feels really hard to imagine maybe what life would be like without alcohol, but all it takes again is 
maybe trying 30 days without it, maybe exploring reading some of these books. You don't have to have it all figured out just yet. You just mm-hmm. have to be a little bit curious about what that could look like. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I, I know the power of functional medicine too, having owned a few medicine, uh, you know, integrative medicine practices myself. I know the power of just that alone, but specifically mm-hmm. with reducing alcohol or giving it up completely can make a huge impact. So it's, so genius to to tie that all into it. It's so perfect because I do think like, you know, you you have to really think more about what you are putting into your body. Yeah. And this is yeah. one of the things that prompted me to start the work that I did mm-hmm. in, in creating functional sobriety, which is my approach, which is really just a root cause approach to mm-hmm. an alcohol-free lifestyle. So it's looking at you know, some of these physiological changes that might happen when we drink. So the effects that alcohol might have on our nutrient status, mm-hmm. how deficiencies in these nutrients can result in anxiety and depression, for example. Yeah. Um, but also looking at the gut and looking at hormone imbalances and and looking at all of the physiological things that keep us stuck. Because mm-hmm. for so long, it's been about you know, and there's so much support in the mental health world around recovery or or alcohol cessation, you know, addressing traumas, these communities that are available. Mm -hmm. There's really not enough discussion. And until I started talking about this, there was no discussion on like, how is alcohol affecting the physical body? And how do we actually use the physical body as an opportunity to support changing how we drink, right? So it's kind of looking at this from the other end to say, well, if I have cravings to drink alcohol, what's contributing to that? If I have anxiety and depression that is contributing to me having a desire to drink, well, why do I, what's going on there and how do I manage Mm -hmm. that, right? Because one of the things I talk about and people really, really love to hear about this is that when we drink alcohol, it depletes out a lot of our important vitamins and minerals. It depletes out all of our B vitamins, our vitamin D, our vitamin C, our magnesium, our zinc, our iron. Across the board, it depletes out most of our vitamins and minerals. Yep. What most people don't understand is that, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, I know I need those. I should take a vitamin. I should take a, you know, maybe a multivitamin supplement, for example. But all of those nutrients Mm -hmm. play an important role in things like our mood, our energy, our body's ability to relax. So we'll use magnesium for an example to say, if our body is deficient in magnesium and about 70% of Americans are deficient in magnesium. So if you're listening, Mm -hmm. there's a high likelihood that you are, but magnesium is our body's relaxing mineral. If we don't Mm -hmm. have enough of it, we have difficulties with sleep. We have difficulties with muscle relaxation, with physical relaxation. We might have headaches or migraines. We might have restless legs or maybe muscle twitches. But if we don't have the capability to relax naturally, well, what are we going to do? We're going to seek out a substance that's going to help us relax. So (laughs) if we can replenish the magnesium and replenish some of these nutrients that are key for helping us feel good. And what happens is when we drink, we deplete them. Mm-hmm. deplete them. So we need the alcohol and then we yes. continue this cycle of depletion, right? So if we can intervene in that cycle with some supplementation or some specific foods yeah. that can support that, then it can really help us change that behavior moving forward. Yeah. And I would think too, for all the, for all my ladies out there and perimenopause and menopause, the alcohol can really affect that. Like it can just take over and make it not even worse than it should be. Yeah. And most people don't understand how impactful alcohol is on hormones. It's a huge topic I talk Mm -hmm. about and one that gets a lot of interest when I do talk about it, because we always think that we're kind of like, well, the hormones are what they are Mm -hmm. and I've been dealt this card and you know, that sucks. Well, the reality is that alcohol affects hormones in several ways. One is that it affects how we produce hormones. It affects our cortisol levels, which in turn affects production of estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, Mm -hmm. but also 
alcohol affects our liver, which is where our body is metabolizing hormones and really Mm -hmm. allowing for stabilization of hormone levels in our body. So when we drink, we deprioritize all of this hormonal function. So if you have extreme PMS symptoms or you have perimenopausal symptoms, you maybe you're going through menopause and you have really hot, a lot of hot flashes, a lot of symptoms, maybe a lot of anxiety, depression, Mm -hmm. alcohol might be feeling like it's helping temporarily, but over time it's actually making it worse. Right. And so there's a lot of ways that we can, when we remove alcohol, start to rebalance and restabilize the system through food, through supplementation, using certain Mm -hmm. herbs, for example, but all of that to say that alcohol is not helping it's actually yep. hindering and making things exactly. a little bit worse. It's going to make yeah. menopause like just a bitch. <laughs> and I have some I have yeah. some clients that say that you know like they really attribute they can attribute their hot flashes to mm-hmm. times that they've drank, right? So yep. if you're experiencing a lot of hot flashes and you're drinking frequently, mm-hmm. cut it out and see if that's playing a role because there's a yep. high likelihood that it is. Yeah. And I love the way your book is set up. I mean, it's so just simple. I mean, it's perfect. I like, so part one, you've got three parts. Um, Part one is, it is time to change your relationship with alcohol. Part two is a functional approach to sobriety, which we talked about a little bit. And part three is how to eat, how to change how you drink. Oh, and part four, part four recipes. Yeah. The the recipes are like a surprise because it doesn't say anywhere on the cover. This is feedback for future books There's (laughs) no on the cover that it says anything about recipes. So everyone is surprised. There's 40 food recipes and 10 beverage recipes. And those are all using the foods and things that, um, you know, support this approach. And yeah. So the, the third section is the first section is my story it talks about the yeah. drinking archetypes. Mm-hmm. The second section really gets into the science. So some of what we were talking about with hormones, with yeah. the gut, with the brain neurotransmitters. And the third mm-hmm. part is really like your action guide. So this is where we talk about how you use food to support changing your relationship with alcohol. So it's getting into some of my tactics and things that we could talk about here that people can start implementing right away. Um, and then it moves into recipes and and all of that. And also there's a conclusion at the end after the recipes. So if you read it, don't skip the conclusion in the back. It's kind of tricky (laughs) back there after the recipes, but it's an important part. It's another one that like is really, I think really touching. And every time I read it, it brings tears to my eyes because I read it and it's like past Brooke who wrote it to future Brooke. It's really wild. That is so weird. Cause I was going to, I was just going to ask you, I was like, okay, what would little Brooke say to you today? Mm -hmm. Do I have to answer that now? That feels like it's an end question. Okay. (laughs) What would little Brooke say to me now? Um, little Brooke would say to me that I've got this. Mm. And to keep going where you are, because like, we're already taken care of back here. Like little Brooks got this, this first half, like you just worry about this second half. And, you know, it's so interesting because when, um, there's a section in the book, I'll just read this like last piece. Mm -hmm. Um, because when I read it back to myself, the first time I had the physical book in my hand, I was like, I was at a time where I needed to hear this. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, yeah, so there's there's a couple of things in the conclusion that I really like, and some of it has to do with setting goals and creating goals yeah. and, you know, um, you know, how one of the biggest goals that I had had for a long time was writing a book. And mm. I never could see how that was going to happen. I always yeah. just thought like one day it'll come to me. I don't know. I just, I feel it right. This is future Brooke and past Brooke, like communicating. <laughs> and, um, you know, when I got sober, I had this, what really looking back feels like this, like it, divine intervention of you yeah. have to write this book. Right. And all of the things kind of aligned together. And, um, I write in my first year alcohol free, I achieved three of the huge goals I had carried with me for years. I started my own business, ran a half marathon, Mm -hmm. and started writing my first book, this one. With alcohol, these goals seemed completely unattainable based on where I was at in life. 
Looking back now, I can see how I was prioritizing alcohol over my self-growth. And then I jump forward to say, um, this is a shared journey. Through this mm. book, you are connected to a larger purpose. You're connected to people who share similar feelings, emotions, and challenges. You are not alone. As you read or listen to this final section, close your eyes and think about all of the others who just like you are holding it to. And when I read that back to myself, I was like, oh, my God, old me was holding this and new me is holding this. It's a whole like, oh, my God, that is so cool. I have crazy thing. Yeah. You know, it's this experience. I'm so I'm so endlessly grateful. I mean, this this entire experience of writing a book has been beyond my wildest Mm -hmm. dreams. But I. I didn't do this for me like it's. It didn't come from me. Mm. I really believe it came from somewhere else. Like I, when I eliminated alcohol, I was freaking terrified. Mm. And I share that because if you're listening and you're thinking like, I don't know how I could do this. This is really like, I don't know. I was freaking terrified. The first couple of days, the first couple of weeks are really hard because I, I didn't know any other way. Maybe you don't know any other way, but all that to say that when the fog finally clears, mm-hmm. everything is different. Yeah. And even if you're not drinking that much, I guarantee you that something is going to change, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, yep. something will change. Yeah. Alcohol is like the great saboteur. Mm. It affects our mind. It affects our physical body. Mm. It affects our spiritual connection. I know that in the years prior to my quitting, I was craving and desiring something. Mm. And I was always like searching and seeking and seeking. And when I found sobriety, like everything changed, everything changed. And so maybe again, you're listening and you don't think you're drinking that much and you don't know if this really applies to you, but you're a little bit curious about it. Mm -hmm. Try it try it because I guarantee that you're going to learn something about yourself that will help you moving forward. Ah, that was beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so, I'm so grateful for you. And this is why I think, I think you've been on the show two other times. We did, we did a live, I think on Instagram live or something like that. I feel we like did. we did too. I don't, I can't remember, but we did. Yeah, we did it every and time we... and it gets better and better just because I can see, see and feel how much you're evolving and changing. And, and it goes to show just like you were saying, it's like you remove that piece in your life and it can open up a whole new world for you, yeah. a whole new life. And life is still has its ups and downs, right? Yeah. We just learn different ways of coping. Yes. Th- I think that's like coping is like, especially at this time in life, you know, it's like, I'm going through a challenging time right now. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, so glad I've done the work so that I know I have this little toolbox, if you will, of coping skills of of tools that I can use. And it's my like, okay, I know I can go and take a bath and I can go and listen to a podcast or I can take a walk or I can, you know, whatever. I mean, I have the little things that I know that will make me feel better instead of running to something that in the end is not going to make me feel better. Yeah. It's yeah. really, but it's so habitual, right? Yeah. So it's yep. about making that change. And like I said, if you're listening and you're like, okay, well I'm interested, but what do I do? Yeah. Buy the book, listen to some mm-hmm. podcasts, maybe look at some other quit lit books. Quit lit is the quit literature genre. <laughs> Um, for those who are looking for an alcohol-free lifestyle. But I promise that when you start to hear other people's stories, it allows you to feel like you're not alone. Mm -hmm. It allows you to identify and recognize that like, this isn't about you. It's not something you've done wrong. It's not, you know, it's not something that is impossible to change. Even if right now it seems impossible there, all it takes is just you kind of starting to take the first step and reading a book, listening to a podcast, like all of this is the first step in the right direction. And your job now is to just keep exploring and and following those little breadcrumbs. Yeah. When is your next uh, online course or is it, is it always available? 
Yeah. So we have a dry January that's running right now, but my programs are evergreen. So my online network, you could join at any time. Um, I also Mm. have an online course, which includes access to the network. You could join those Mm -hmm. at any time and it runs kind of on a consistent basis. But in our um, online group, we have weekly meetings, we post daily content. There's a huge library of videos and audios and resources. Um, and we have month, monthly challenges regardless. So this month for dry January happens to be dry January. Um, and so people can join at any time, but it's a community of women around the world. Like I said, uh, oh. people who are just like you. So, you know, yeah. some come in and they're already sober, sober curious, but probably 50% of people come in saying, I'm kind of just wanting to get started and I need support. Mm-hmm. And our community provides that. Ah, so great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's always so good to see you. I really love our conversations and and I appreciate all of your support in in this process and interviewing yeah. me back when I was still in the in the trenches writing and like it's so crazy <laughs> to like have the physical book in my hand. And now that's me. Now I'm the one in the trenches writing like, hey, but yeah, your little baby. You got my little baby. baby. Yeah, it's like it's such a it's a a labor of love, but a very worthwhile one. And um, to see it go international and to have friends like in New Zealand and across the world that can get their hands on it is really crazy and cool. And where can we find you? Yeah. So you can learn more about me at functionalsobriety.com and our programs are all listed there. Our supplements, our online tools. Um, You could order the book there, but the book is available wherever books are sold. Amazon. You could get it on Audible. If you get the Audible, I will read it to you, which is fun. <laughs> I love so it. So if you if you like <laughs> like what you hear, um, and then yeah, I'm mostly active social on uh, Instagram at dr Brooke Scheller. Love it. Thank you so much. You're you're Thank amazing. You, you're amazing. Thank you for having me back. All right, everyone, go get a copy of her book. Sign up for her course and have a good rest of your January. Did this podcast inspire you, challenge you, trigger you to make a change or spit out your coffee laughing? Good. Then there are three ways you can thank me. Number one, you can leave a written review of this podcast on Apple iTunes. Number two, you can take a screenshot of the episode and share it on social media and tag me, Wendy Valentine. Number three, share it with another midlifer that needs a makeover. You know who I'm talking about. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Get out there and be bold, be free, be you.